Hello, Zanzi. Welcome to episode 330 of the Farmers Inside Track podcast. My name is Duncan Masiwa, and I'm your host for this episode. Now, 2023 has presented significant challenges to food security in South Africa. In this episode, we delve into the key events of the year and their repercussions on the accessibility, affordability, and availability of food in various communities. Additionally, we shed light on both noteworthy accomplishments and setbacks in Mzanzi's initiatives to tackle food security. Nasele Mesomakulu, the Deputy Director General for Food Security and Agrarian Reform in the Department of Agriculture, Land Reform and Rural Development, joins us to have this conversation. Mr. Nasele Mesomakulu, how are you doing, sir? I'm super good. Thank you. Thank you for hosting me and your I'm doing very well. Of course, over the past year, there's been some changes in South Africa's food security, strides that have made, challenges that we've seen in terms of food security, policy changes, natural disasters that have occurred, global phenomenons that have also impacted access to food, affordability of food. And a lot of this, of course, impacts communities at large scale. Now, let's get straight into it. As a consumer, this is a question that I've been having for quite some time. How is food security rather measured in the country? What metrics are used? Maybe let's start there so we're all on the same page. Allow me to amend your question, the complex argument around nutrition, because as a country, we talk about food and nutrition security. And this is very important so that the complexity of the topic we're discussing is well understood. Luckily, as a country, this is enriched in our constitution, section 27 1B of the country, is on access food and water. By the way, just to inform your audience, how many of us are aware that food is the third base basic human need? Third, only from air and water. This is a very important topic we're talking about. If you look at the UN and FAO, which is the Food and Agriculture Organization, there is a globally acclaimed and understood definition of food security as food and nutrition security. Yeah, we are measuring it at the individual level. That's why I introduced the issues of nutritional aspect into it. It is measured at a household level. You will then move to the national level. And uh, this is where now in our country, you hear a lot of people talking about food security at national, I mean, South Africa at national level, being food, food secure. However, at the household and individual level, it's a different story. We also look at it at the regional level and conclusions. So, so this definition that, that looks at the things like having physical access to this food, that must be nutritious, that must be there for you to live your active and healthy life for as long as we live, becomes what we should. So as a country to harmonize this phenomenon concept of food security, we then establish uh, what we call South African Vulnerability Assessment Committee. And this committee took already well-known metrics and indications globally to really start measuring the topic of food security. We're looking at six now, the six dimensions of food security, but before that, we had four. We introduced, which we produced two dimensions, essentially that of the sustainability as well as the agency. But the first one I want to talk to is the food availability, which really is all about a country being able to have 
adequate food for its citizens, whether it's through production or whether it's through imports. That has to be measured. The second one is the, is the sustainability of that supply. When the food is available, it must be continuously available. We also look at the topic of how the food is made, the consumption patterns. And I spoke about the two that the like use. And the last one, which uh, the key here in access, a food being available does not automatically translate to it in you gaining access to it and being able to have that balance to you. So you gain access through two forms. One is through your own action or through economic moves. Economic means that relates to your disposable income in your pocket, your, your buying power for you to be able to go out there and, and purchase this food. Two issues I want to quickly run through is your macro and the social economic aspect that also play a role in how food security is dealt with. GIA is dealing with the issues of traffic growth and that for the issue of food inflation, getting with it topical recently. And access to basic services like your potable water and sanitation and basic health services, those are having a direct effect in terms of how food is handled. If you were to look also about the question of food safety and all of that. It's both about shocks and hazards. Very important issue that we look at in the topic of food security, whether it's geopolitical issues, whether it's climate-induced ones, the pandemic that we recently came from, and other global disruptions that affect our food systems and food value chains. You asked me to break this down for you in terms of these metrics that we're looking at. So without being scientific about it, as I said, it's a complex topic that you are discussing here. You have what we call a food consumption score. We have what we call the household dietary diversity scale. We look at the spending on food, which basically is about cost of the calories that you have to go and buy. We're looking at the coping strategy index that people have to adapt as and when the consumption behaviors have to change and also the food security index. Two familiar ones that we like and we've used. By the way, we just recently concluded a survey nationwide, the first of its kind in the country, conducted by the HSRC, where we looked across all nine provinces, what currently is the status of food insecurity. So there we use the household food insecurity and access scale, as well as the household hunger scale. Just to try to break it down for your audience, if you look at your household hunger scale, here you've got a score from zero to one. And if that household is at that scale or score, it means there is very much little or no food insecurity issues there. You will or you're good. But then moving from two to three in your household hunger scale, this is where now we're looking at your moderate hunger levels, where perhaps at certain times of the you don't really have food. And four to six is where the problem is, because now you're looking at the severe hunger. So that is questionnaires and trying to, to track these issues. This, this is what we're using. The, the other one quickly is your household food insecurity access score. As I said, here you're looking at your household behavioral and psychological changes. What does the household do when they are confronted with the issue of food insecurity? Do they reduce the number of meals per day? Have breakfast, skip lunch, and have dinner? Or do they reduce the quantity of the food on their plate as they consume. In other words, if you were in your breakfast, you were having two eggs. Now you go around and say, no, look, I'm going to only have one because I've got constraints in terms of buying more. So that will look at the important thing, again, linked to the issue of, of nutritional aspect of this is your dietary diversity score. In other words, what's in your plate? 
do you have what you call your five colors or it's just a staple certain food throughout the day which then will mean you're missing some of the basic nutrients and vitamins that you need from your food so these are the, the indicators we're using to food security in the country uh, but of course we can never leave out the question of the economy the money to go and buy this food you will recall that the un talks about us dollar two us dollars per day some in some region one and a half us dollars per day and bring it back home we looked uh that sa last year gave us a, a index that talks about three of them basically you got the upper boundary poverty line you've got your food poverty line and as well as you've got the lower poverty line we're talking about 663 rand per month for anyone to be able to go and afford the basic food basket so if you don't have food that you produce on your own and then in your disposable income you don't have this 663 rand a month to be able to then buy this food then you fall into that trap of food insecurity of course uh, the upper poverty line in the state SA puts it at uh, just over 1417 rand per month for us to be able to to do this so in summarizing your question then to say that at the country level nationwide we've got sufficient food the issue is just affordability and that means access to food Thank you so much for that. Based on what you're saying, it, it sounds to me that as consumers, we have quite a lot of influence when it comes to the status of food security in a country, specifically now South Africa, in terms of how our consumer habits change, what we decide to eat, when we decide to eat. Does that play a big, was it a big factor when it comes to the status of food security in the country? Absolutely. Through our research institution through AFC, uh, we are now even looking at what uh, is classified as indigenous foods. We want to broaden the basic food basket because there are other food items that are very rich in nutrients that are typically not counted in your typical Western plate, uh, so to speak. We want to introduce those and also encourage our farmers on the ground to really go back to what we used to eat. From where I'm from, we would eat mfino, and you go to other areas, they'll talk about cassava and others. Those are very rich nutrient food that we really have to go back to. It was definitely in a food from Zanzi, we champion indigenous foods. There's definitely a need for conversations around that as well, but we're not here for that. You know, obviously COVID-19 has had a big impact on not just our economy, but also consumers' ability to afford food. What are your researchers saying? How has that shifted over the past year, two years? Are we seeing positive shifts? Are people back in the stores? What does that look like? Before I respond to that, allow me just to reflect on this traumatic period in our human existence. There is the scars of which we will remain with us for decades to come. We continue to remember those that perished uh, through this uh, pandemic and uh, some of which their livelihoods were eroded by the pandemic and therefore their families really struggling. It really was a time we, we really wish it would never happen again. But in terms of our sector, you will recall that uh, when we were hit by this pandemic, as a sector, uh, among others, the cabinet took a very pronounced decision to classify the culture as an essential service. That played a very significant role in ensuring that we continue to do that which we could, ensuring food and availability for the country. And uh, we were very resilient uh, through that period. Our sector made a positive contribution to our GDP while others were declining. A few of the programs we introduced, like your safety nets, if you might call them that, to really cushion 
the most vulnerable households to the impact of this pandemic, like your COVID-19 uh, relief fund we ran as a department, and you look at your presidential employment stimulus initiatives also, that really played a positive role uh, in trying to, to assist in this regard. And this is not my view. Uh, this is the view shared by researchers, as you're asking whether they're saying us. This is the view shared by uh, a number of uh, communities in the sector. And they even go as further to say, if we did not introduce these programs, we, we could have seen food-related riots in the country, uh, which we were able to avert because of these uh, interventions. Of course, not notwithstanding what happened during 2021 uh, in, in some parts of, of KZN and Gauteng, which of course were not really food-related riots, but we all know what triggered those. I won't go into that. So our researchers then inform us that we have built resilience and we have built an agile sector, even through the worst possible storms. And we take pride of the, on that. However, challenges remain. As you're saying, the food affordability in the country is still, is still a challenge. The food inflation, as we saw recently, hence the prominence on the topic of food security today because of that. So a number of households are still experiencing food insecurity across the country. This is evident from the general household surveys that is conducted by uh, State SA. It also reflects on the national survey that I referenced earlier. And when we launch the result of that survey, uh, we will definitely extend the invitation to Food from Zanzi and, of course, other media houses uh, to, to reflect on, on our findings because it's the first in kind that I said in the country and we really drilled deep at household level what's happening there. So we observe the burden of malnutrition, which really doesn't change. We are observing the, the hidden hunger. The question is on, on overweight, obesity, uh, all these due to the consumption of nutrient-poor diets. If you look at uh, the levels of stunting, the levels of wasting, especially at your children under the age of five, those challenges are there. And recently from a global food security report, where we're looking at the SDGs and how we're faring towards achieving those. It's very clear, not just as a country or a continent, but as a world, that we're not going to be able to achieve at this stand at this rate, uh, ending hunger, SDG number two, by year 2030. And then, that means we have to double our efforts to, to get the things done. There are other related challenges, like your domestic issues. If you look at your, your, your issues of load sharing, that really is disruptive. We appreciate the efforts made by cabinet in trying to address this. This is exactly why our own minister introduced the agro energy fund that really is beginning also to try and help farmers to diversify off-grid and to alternative energy sources. In that way, you're then minimizing the impact on, on the food security. Our sector, as we all know, is really a job-intensive sector. We're happy to see since 2020 to this year that we have created about 52,000 new jobs in the sector while maintaining our year-to-year -year average of about 850,000 jobs. So for us, this is, this is good and it also assists in terms of dealing with the issue of food security when you talk about access and their affordability. In closing this question, higher than ideal percentage of our parcels of land that uh, remains under less than optimal production levels. And this is something we're really confronting head on as a department to try and ensure that we use available resources to really take our people out of poverty and food insecurity. Thank you so much for, for, for being so detailed with your response. I'd like to know, have there been any major developments or policy shifts or events related to food security in the country over the past sector, and more especially changes that could affect food producers and maybe even consumers? 
you know that last year we were signed and uh, put into action a sector plan, which is our agriculture and agriculture master plan, which really represents a collaborative effort uh, between government, industry, the social partners uh, for us to revitalize and restructure our, our, our actual sector for inclusive growth. The authors like Wendy Lesetshobo out there, who is a book now that talks about the world of true agriculture in South Africa. The year we're coming out, uh, we've been journeying towards the implementation of this plan, where we have developed and continue to do so, develop the production schemes. These basically are your commodity-specific schemes that we want to use to streamline production processes. We want to use them to improve quality and hence overall inclusiveness of our sector, uh, so that as we grow and set to achieve the targets and the AMP, we're improving the social security and also those that are, were left behind before we introduced the plan. The second area I can mention around this place is the value chain round tables that we are establishing again as a platform of stakeholders within the value chains that are discussing roles and responsibilities on exactly how as a sector. We're just coming out of winning the Rugby World Cup and uh, a very powerful slogan, Stronger Together. These value chain roundtables are exactly like that, a platform to bring all the role players together on the table to collaborate, engage on the various factors that are affecting our sector and the, the, the very addition along the way. Another issue that we're expanding, uh, Minister, this year, uh, relaunched the, the blended funding instrument with the Land Bank. You know the difficulty of our small world of farmers at accessing funding from our funding institutions. This is our planet scheme that uh, now we, we really are broadening to ensure that uh, we, we leverage on the private sector investment and make sure that currently faced with the, the fiscal constraints we have as government, we're able to bring in the private investors in the sector. And this is taking off their work and we're pleased to see the, the positive impact around that point. My final question, what is the department's key priorities in the coming year? You know, we've talked about the challenges that have been this year the challenges that continue to exist. What are your key priorities going forward in 2024? Allow me to indicate that at the 52nd session of the Committee on World Food Security held last month in Rome, our country was elected the chair of this global forum that discusses the issue of food security. We extend our congratulations to Her Excellency Nosipo Cesare, our ambassador in Italy, that will uh, take this uh, very important two-year term uh, to discuss the question of food security, not just for the country, but global. I'm mentioning this because this is a perfect platform for us as a country and a continent at global level to start influencing and taking advantage uh, to deal with the domestic issues of food security. And this is the priority we definitely will not miss to ensure that we set our agenda out there and we pursue and, and make sure that this gets done. The second point at a strategic level that one would want to mention is the fact that uh, we are now initiating a process to develop a legislation for food and nutrition security in South Africa. Currently, we have a cabinet-approved policy, but we don't have an act and that deals with the issue of food security. This is very critical and important for us. We are pushing ahead with the establishment of the National Council for Food and Nutrition Security. Again, the policy and the plan that we come to an end here has already requested of us to establish a council that will bring all stakeholders. As I said, food security is, is multidimensional, very complex, and therefore it cuts across a number of stakeholders. And this council will really assist 
us to, to get things moving. In terms of providing support, our policy, our national policy and the comprehensive support to producers is on route to cabinet, very key for us because it begins to consolidate all our currently available funding instruments for us to be able to have an impact at scale on how we provide our support to producers, linking them to their various categories. Uh, so that is very clear if you are subsistence or small boulder, what exactly is your package and if you're the next level and so forth. So that, that policy for us is very, is very keen. We are also looking at formalizing what we call institutional markets. These are important for marketing purposes for substance farmers. By such markets are referred to things like your national school feeding scheme, for example, your supplying food to the army, hospitals and related. And and you can't talk about for our producers if you institutionalize these markets and there's a there's a definite target and a program to help them move with that. That is undercuts. Another area we're looking at is uh, we're looking at moving away from your demand-driven provision providing support to the most vulnerable households uh, to a more of a supply-driven one. A Makoko somewhere in the deep rural of Limpompo will hardly apply for our services if she has that baguette garden and we say we'll only assist you if you apply. Uh, with the, the survey that now we have from HRC on the state of food and nutrition in the country, we have prepped in this pressure points that now we want to be deliberate in designing programs that are going to be geared towards ensuring that those pockets of areas that are still red in food security now are lifted out of poverty. And that for us is important. Lastly, we've witnessed from the cabinet the decision to crack down on the spaza shops that are selling fake or expired goods and the development thereof to assist to deal with this issue. It's very important. And we always say, if it is not safe, it is not food. That was, of course, Nasele Methomakulu, the Deputy Director General for Food Security and Agrarian Reform in the Department of Agriculture, Land Reform and Rural Development. You can, of course, read more on this topic by visiting www.foodformzanzi.co.za. And that's a wrap. Join me again next time. And remember to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. From me, Duncan Masiwa, our technical producer, Megan van der Fend, and the rest of Team Hashtag Food from Zanzi, thanks for listening. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans, though, right? We're inspiring, and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food from Zanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story.